Shabbat Shalom, Cantor Feldman, and everybody. I want to talk this morning about something that is not super serious, but is very dear to my heart. Because although I know during the pandemic, lots of things have suffered, I want to talk about something that has flourished even though many of you, probably most of you, are not aware of it. But in order to explain this, I have to go back to when I was in high school. When I was in high school, I had a friend, and he and I used to play chess, and he used to beat me. And I admit it, maybe this isn't a nice thing for a rabbi to say, but it bothered me a lot. So I wanted to learn how to beat him, so I bought a chess book. And from there, I fell into a world. I became semi-obsessed with chess, so much so that on my bedroom door as a high school student, I had a little sign that said, of chess it is said that life is not long enough for it, but that is the fault of life not of chess. And that was a grandmaster named Isaiah Horowitz who said that. And as you might guess from his name, a Jewish grandmaster, Isaiah Horowitz, because in fact, and this will be part of the story, the number of outstanding chess players who are Jewish is stunning, extraordinary, maybe about half the world champions, if not more. So I began to play chess and I played in tournaments for years. And then of course, other things start to intervene. And though I was always interested in the game, it a little bit waned because life takes over. And so it had been many years since I played in a tournament, but I always loved the game because it is intrinsically fascinating. And also the greatest players are truly great. In the Soviet Union, when it was alive, when it existed, they used to have a farm team. And when they were little kids, they would find the best chess players and they would groom them. And hundreds of millions of people all over the world play chess. So if you are in the top 20, or if you're the world champion, you're the equivalent of the greatest of the greatest of the greatest athletes in any sport. You're extraordinarily gifted. You don't look at the chessboard the way normal people do. And so for those who watch, you watch chess differently than you watch basketball. Most people don't watch basketball games to learn new moves or necessarily to become a better basketball player, but chess players watch the great ones to see if they can find out something they don't already know. And during the pandemic, it has been a boon for chess because Magnus Carlsen, who is the current world champion, has been for several years and is an extraordinary young man in his mid-20s from Norway, created online tournaments that the entire world can watch where he invited all the best chess players in the world to play with him at quicker pace. So the games don't take hours, they take 15 minutes to a half hour depending on the game. And so you can watch and then you have professionals commenting on the game. And this went on for the past couple of months. And by the way, in the end, 
in a heart-stopping final against an American player named Hikaru Nakamura. Carlson won in the very, very last game. So why do I bring all this up other than to share my obsession with all of you and to tell you that if you're a chess player, the pandemic has been very kind to you. Because about a year ago, through uh, the good offices of a friend of mine, Mark Gerson, I got to have lunch with the person many consider the greatest chess player of all time, Gary Kasparov. And it was a tremendous thrill, not only because Kasparov was world champion for so many years, was such a fearsome player, but also because Kasparov has made another life for himself as an arch critic of Putin, as a political commentator. And you know, you give so much of your life to chess to become a champion that not that many people actually have the mental space and bandwidth left over to create an entirely new and important life the way Kasparov has done. And later he sent me his book called How Life Imitates Chess. And it was lessons of life that he learned from the chessboard. And there are just one or two, not exactly from the book, but with a little bit of a twist that I wanna share with you. And that in fact have something to do with our Parsha this week, which is Shoftim. And it's all about judges and judgment. One of the things that you learn from chess is that your moves are your responsibility. It's not like in tennis where the ball can take a bad bounce or even in basketball or that the sun was in your eyes or that the natural conditions made it impossible. It's one person against another and each of you is responsible for your moves. And also there is a time limit and people play at different time limits. Um, when I play online, I usually play three minute games. So you have to move very quickly, but you realize that for decisions, sometimes important decisions, there's a limit and that your decisions have consequences. I wanna to quote to you from one of the greatest of the world champions. His name was Emmanuel Lasker. He was a friend of Einstein's he was a Jewish mathematician from Germany. And this is what he said. He said, one on the chessboard, lies and hypocrisy do not survive long. The creative combination lays bare the presumption of a lie. The merciless fact culminating in checkmate contradicts the hypocrite. In other words, just as in life, you might wanna be a self-deceiver. You might wanna say, I'm sure that's a good move, but you're going to be proved right or wrong. There are consequences to what you do and you have to have judgment. And a good chess player will take in the entire board because if you only focus on one part of it, you can get smashed in another. If you don't pay attention to what your opponent is doing, if you only pay attention to your own plans, you're gonna get surprised that your opponent was planning something too. There are real lessons to be learned from what seems like a game far removed from the world. 
You have to have strategy, which is a long-term goal. And then you have to have tactics, which is how do you get there? You have to have humility because every player loses. There's never been an undefeated chess player in history unless somebody once played one game and gave it up. But the greatest grandmasters lose games. And sometimes they lose games to people who are much less skilled than they are. Because sometimes in life, it just doesn't go your way. And all of these lessons that you learn on the board, you also learn in life. And part of, I think, the reasoning that is required, the way you have to figure stuff out and the steps that you have to follow, it's very, very reminiscent sometimes of Talmudic reasoning. And I understand why so many chess players have been in fact products of the Jewish tradition and the Jewish training Kasparov took his mother's name when his father died young, but his father's name was Weinstein. His original name is Gary Weinstein. And this affinity between chess and the Jewish tradition is in part, I believe, because we understand how deeply our decisions have consequences, reasoning matters. You have to always be aware and acute of everything that is going on on the board. And sometimes you still lose. There are 63 tractates in the Talmud and 64 squares on a chessboard. Both of them contain wonders and worlds. So this morning, I just wanted to share with you something that I love from which I believe I have learned and suggest to you that whatever it is you love, whether it is sports or computers or games or books, if you look at it through the eyes of Torah, you'll be able to discover there lessons for life that matter, that can change and elevate you. So I hope that if you have never given chess a try, maybe you'll give it a try, but whether you do or not, that you will appreciate the artistry of other forms around you and celebrate on this Shabbat, the tremendous, varied, and absolutely astonishingly wonderful variety of activities and ideas, pathways and genius that God has put into God's blessed world. Shabbat Shalom.